very situations that you see every day in clinic but you don't have good evidence and you would like to know what do the experts do in that situation themselves so that's why we we said okay we have so many of these questions also in prostate cancer that we should really um, do such a consensus meeting also for prostate cancer and that's how it all started Hi and welcome to this episode of the Terragnostic Talks podcast. My name is Gustav Vidar and together with me in the studio I have the fantastic Annette Andrian. Welcome Annette. Thank you so much Gustav. How are you? I'm fine. How are you today? Good, great. Looking forward to our next guest or the upcoming guest. Yes, today, who is the guest today? Silke Gillesen. Yes, and today, finally, we will have the oncologist view on teragnostics. With the focus on prostate cancer. This will be really interesting. Yes, she seems like a lovely person and a lot of enthusiasm and with the patient in the focus. Yeah, so uh, as we used to say, just take it away. Silke Gillison is head of the Medical Oncology Department and Medical Scientific Director of the Oncology Institute of Southern Switzerland. She's considered one of the world's leading experts in GU oncology. Professor Gillison has led numerous clinical trials, won prestigious awards, and she's lead organiser of the Advanced Prostate Cancer Consensus Conference, APCCC, a major meeting bringing some of the world's top prostate cancer experts together. Because, as she said, if you don't have good evidence, the second best you can have is consensus from the experts in the field. Welcome, Silke Gillesson, in Switzerland. Not to confuse with Sweden, where we are right now. And <laughs> for our international listeners, it's two different countries. Yeah, much smaller Switzerland. Um, much <laughs> yeah. smaller and three languages. Yeah. So, What more do you think is different? Have you been to Sweden, Silke? Uh, Stockholm. Yeah, oh. only Stockholm. Unfortunately, my husband always wants to go. Um, he loves Scandinavia, so he would really like to go to Sweden. We, we're going to do that sooner or later. Yeah. Okay. When the COVID is over. Yes, yes. And you staying, where exactly are you staying in Switzerland? So I'm in the south of Switzerland, in the Italian-speaking part now. Um, so that's very close to Lake of Como. So yes. Oh, that's Milano. nice. Milano, it's beautiful. Oh, yeah, it's beautiful. Congratulations. Yeah. And you are, uh, I mean, you are from Switzerland from the beginning. I mean, have you been moving around? I'm Swiss, and uh, but I'm from the northwestern part of Switzerland, where we speak German. So now I'm, or not German, but uh, Swiss German. And now I'm in the part where we speak Italian. Okay. Yes, yes. Yeah, so, but, but yeah, I'm Swiss. But I've moved around as well um, internationally, but right now I'm back home. Very welcome again, Silke. We are so happy that you now are joining us, uh, us in this Diagnostic Talks as the first EU, EU uh, oncologist at the Diagnostic Talks. And uh, what we're going to do is looking forward to talk about prostate cancer 
not a surprise, and also uh, tip into the place of diagnostics within prostate cancer. We know that you are the initiator and the le leading organizer of the highly appreciated consensus meeting APCCC, and that we look forward very much to hear more about a little bit later. Um, so, uh, but we now start with prostate cancer, and uh, you have said a number of times that it is one of the most misunderstood cancers. What do you mean by that, Silke? I, I don't think it's misunderstood. I think what what maybe um, you you were referring to is that I guess a lot of people, and, and there you right, have still a bit the impression that prostate cancer is a very indolent cancer in very old men. Um, and of course, these situations exist, but there is also prostate cancers that are more aggressive, and there are also prostate cancer in younger men. So, so I guess um, that is probably where you're referring to. I think in, in the mind of a lot of people, um, the, the prostate cancer is, and I've also heard that from a lot of patients, like saying, oh, I always thought that prostate cancer is something very indolent, and, um, and I, I guess this is really where we have to say, yes, these cases exist, like also for breast cancer in women, but this is not all cancer, prostate cancers are like that. You're absolutely right. And, and is it, uh, thank you, and, and is it, uh, uh, has this changed over time, the um, incidence, the, the way the cancer presents itself, or has it always been like this? Uh, I'm not that long around, so, so it's always that. That's always a, a question. Uh, I I couldn't say. I, I guess I don't think it has changed a lot. I guess what really changed is that um, at least in some countries, and Sweden was was one of the countries that were very active in the screening um, studies, right? So or like the the US, where screening was mandatory or not mandatory, but but very recommended for a long time. Um, so that has clearly changed the situation, right? So in countries where you have um, screening, and that could be really kind of selected screening in well-informed patients, or like in the studies more something like a mass screening, um, you find earlier cases, obviously. Whereas in, in other countries like in Africa, where um, there is not, not such a thing like screening, obviously the patients come with much more advanced disease. And so this is very, very country dependent. Uh, and prostate cancer is a, a multifaceted disease. And I think soon you will have lutetium PSMA in a year or so uh, as one tool in an oncologist's uh, toolbox uh, beside many other tools for prostate cancer. Uh, could you help us a little bit uh, sort out this multifaceted disease? Uh, where is the diagnostic and where we, do we have other treatment options for patients? Right. So actually in Switzerland, we already have it available in, in kind of an expanded access program. Um, so as you well know, the, the bigger studies, um, so the therapy study, the phase two study in Australia and the, the vision study, the phase three study internationally has been, have been done both of the studies. 
in the setting of metastatic castration resistant disease for the therapy study after docetaxel, that's a chemotherapy, plus a novel endocrine agent. So kind of in a third line setting. But in the vision study, it was a bit, let's say, um, more broad. Um, so you, you could have had two taxanes and even two novel endocrine agents. Um, so, or only one and one. So, so there is a bit, it's a broader kind of population that went into that study. But both of them were inpatients pre-treated at least with a taxane and a novel endocrine agent, one taxane and a novel endocrine agent. So it, it's kind of in the moment where we use it is it's really kind of late in the whole spectrum of the disease, exactly. Uh, so that's a late stage of this disease. Uh, do you think there is a possibility that we can be in an earlier stage as well? Uh, of course, we need some results, some trials, and we need to do some studies. But, but um... yeah, I mean, I guess you know well that already now the the new trials are at least in thinking process that are earlier. So the ones that we know well is. Um, again, in the castration-resistant setting, but um, just after one novel endocrine agent, so that would be already earlier, still in the castration-resistant disease, but earlier. And there is also trials um, planned even earlier in the disease setting. So, but I would say we, we really have to wait for these results to say that this is a, a good option, um, because in the moment we, we just don't know. And also, we, what we don't know, um, and I think we discussed that um, also in a lot of conferences, what is really the long-term toxicity of the PSMA lutetium therapy? Because we right now have only very, let's say, short-term, mid-term toxicity results. We don't know what happens with the kidney function. We, we don't know what happens with secondary malignancies in these patients. So if you go earlier and earlier, this gets obviously more and more important. And um, that's why I think it's very important we, we should really do the trials and not just go and say, okay, we give it to everyone now because it has worked so well in the MCRPC setting. Uh, just a curious question. What do you see? When, when in time could it be that we know more about what can we be expected more about, more about uh, being able to treat earlier, if possible? As you know, um, these, these trials are mostly event-driven, so it depends what endpoint you choose. If you choose the overall survival as an endpoint, it's going to take longer. If you use radiographic progression-free survival, for example, it's going to be obviously earlier your, when you can read out. Um, there the problem is a bit how are you going to measure, right? Are you going to measure with PSMA? And we just, since we talk about diagnostics probably later, so should we measure that with PSMA PET-CTs or should we measure that with conventional imaging? or even with whole body MRIs. I mean, I think this is really then a, a really important question in designing these trials, how to, to really monitor the patients if you would choose uh, progression-free survival as an endpoint.
And that is maybe some years, sorry, just it yeah. will be some years until we have that. Yeah. But maybe the APCCC can help out with that, that uh, meeting to discuss it. So we, we were, we are discussing it. So in the 9th of October, we have um, a kind of a short version of the APCCC. And, um, and so for the, the people who don't know this advanced prostate cancer consensus conference. So we discuss their open clinical questions. Um, and we have lots of questions about PSMA because we choose, we, we wanted to choose the three most hot topics in prostate cancer and the PSMA was one of them. Um, and the imaging and the treatment, um, but we will go much more in that section where we already have data but even there not all is clear right because it's not clear should you do an ftg pet plus a gallium or fluoride pet can we also use fluoride pets because in in a lot of countries now um, gallium pet cts are not done any longer but fluoride so can we just extrapolate all the data that we have now in the studies was always gallium can we just extrapolate that also to fluoride um, do we need like in the therapy trial also a FDG PET to really select the patients because they selected much more the patients as you know so they were losing about uh, about like 25-26% of the patients because they, they were very strict with their inclusion whereas in, in vision it was only about 15% so I guess um, so there's a lot of question already now again how are we monitoring the patients what what should you use? Should you use PSA only? Should you use PSMA PET CTs? Should you use, as we discussed, conventional imaging? And all the questions, right? Should we, um, because in vision, as we say, it, it wasn't, it was a lot discussed as well because um, cavity taxon in a lot of countries is a third line standard. So the, but the control arm in the study didn't allow, allow for cavity taxon there because obviously you couldn't um, combine it so easily with PSMA lutetium. So the, now I think the clinical question is, which patients would you give if it gets approved in the, in the third line setting? Which patients should receive the lutetium PSMA? And which patient should receive cavacetaxel? So these are now all really important questions if someone is not fit for docetaxel, because they were obviously in both studies, uh, the patients had to have at least one taxane therapy. So is it still correct to go also only after one novel endocrine agent um, with that drug? Um, so I think there's lots of questions that we going to discuss there and also that we go on and vote on there. Mm. On the 9th yeah. of October. Mm. That will be very interesting to listen to. Yeah. <laughs> Looking no, no, forward no. to that. Yeah, <laughs> I, I, it's really, it's like, it's, it's so much, you know, that we, that we should know yeah. in that setting now, what is the best thing to do. Yeah, we have discussed with almost all the, the um, what do you call it? Sorry, uh, Nick, guests. guests in the podcast, sorry, in the mm. podcast uh, about um, imaging and uh, the question about to perform PET imaging or not to perform PET imaging. You you commented on that uh, earlier here, and you also have this uh, in the, the publication earlier this year, what you see is not always what you get. 
uh, just elaborate on that. It was really interesting to, to the discussions you had and also on this, uh, uh, what did you call it, the Rogers, Will Rogers effect. Please. Yeah, so, so I guess there's two different things, right? So for the treatment, if you really speak about diagnostics, right? So right now, I would say since it is kind of a biomarker, the PSMA PET CT, for the treatment, um, I would say in the moment you need at least a PSMA PET CT, whatever PSMA PET CT, to decide who can profit from that treatment, as it was in studies. The other point that we discussed in, in that letter together with Chris Sweeney and Peters, um, so this was more about, okay, we see at least in our countries now a lot of PSMA PET cities done. So the EU um, guidelines, we have added it kind of as recommended in biochemical relapse. Is how also how it was approved in Switzerland first in, in the setting of a biochemical relapse after someone um, had a, like kind of PSA rising after a, a radical local treatment. And now in Switzerland, it is, it's even um, in use for staging of high risk and I don't know why, but also intermediate risk patients. So, so here, um, as we discussed here, right, we, we know now more and more. So we see it, there is like something that is called a stage shift. So in, with a conventional imaging, maybe you wouldn't see lesions. And now you have to piece my PET CT and you see lesions. The, the problem is um, you don't know if really, if this, first of all, should make you change your management because we don't have the data. And second of all, if then, if you change the management, because we know it is changing your management, there is, there is studies for that. But if that's really changing a clinically relevant outcome, right? Because that's the important part. I mean, it's not so important if your PSA goes a bit up or a bit down. Um, important for the patients is or the, the, this, this can be reported psychologically, obviously. I, I don't want to play that down. But important are the outcomes that are really clinically significant and, and important and relevant. And this we don't know yet. And I guess it will be difficult to find out because it's already done that much. So, so in that sense, we are like a bit too late because... Mm -hmm. It's already used all the Clinical time. Clinical practice. So it's already yeah. kind of in a lot of countries, not in all countries, but it's already in clinical practice. So it's, it's going to be very difficult to, to do trials to see what it really adds. And I guess also we, we have to be totally honest, we can't go back, right? So it's always like, you know, so we, we have to live with what we have right now and try to make the best out of it and try to um, design intelligent studies where we can find out um, how are we opt can we optimize the treatment of our patients. And what would a study like that uh, look like? What is needed for that? So there's a lot of studies already ongoing now where um, PSMA PET-CTs are included. And um, 
and then there will be subgroup analysis of the patients who were in this in these groups. So I think there, that is already really ongoing. So it's um, there is a, already a lot of people who have designed studies where the PSMA PET CT is is built in, also like in a like in a, in the form of a question. So so this is um, I think very important that we try to get the question of the imaging into the clinical studies. Yes, that's very, to, to include, uh, so you covered different questions when you, uh, when right. you, yeah. Is there anything that you see is lacking? Will there be, there will always be questions, I know, but is it something you can see? Yeah, you know, I would be really interested, um, but I discussed also with some other people, to have a trial with the patients who have now in the PSMA PET CT, and we see a lot of them in the staging um, lymph node metastasis that we didn't see on a conventional scan. And I think it would be very interesting to see um, what how should we optimally treat these patients? And then the, the other question would be, should we then say for the patients who don't have PSMA, PET-CT positive lymph nodes, could we maybe omit, for example, with the radical prostatectomy, the lymphadenectomy? So I think it's a lot of, of questions with the PSMA, PET-CT that you can um, pose. Like one is, escalation for the patients where you see metastasis that you wouldn't see in a conventional imaging, but maybe also some de-escalation de questions in the patients where you don't see anything. It's just that also the PSMA PET-CT is not 100%, and so you would always say, but in a study, I think you could ask these questions. Hmm. And when you, when you say escalation, is it the treatment or is it the uh, staging or what is treatment. it? The treatment to, after to, the staging, when you yes. saw metastasis, then yes. you then escalate on your treatment or uh, lower the, the or as the, you have it yeah. yeah adapt you can uh, yes okay. adapt the treatment according to the results and like if you want to very be very pure you should then compare that to a conventional treatment right. So, so I guess that could be an idea, but it's it's always you have to really think um, how to best design this trial, how to best uh, try to answer the, the outstanding questions, and, and I'm also also the standard treatment. It's different for different. I mean, to define that is also a challenge in itself. I can imagine. So there are treatment standards that we are using nowadays, right? So, so they are there. And now the question is, what influence has the novel imaging on these treatments? And we already see that there is there are changes um, because the novel imaging is is done, and then you have new information, and you need to or you do change your management. But what is a bit missing is so what what is that saying then for the outcome, the clinical outcome of the patient? And that that is something we have to seeing this in these uh, studies that are already ongoing or planned. Hmm. Uh, we had uh, Stefano Fanti in the podcast uh, some weeks ago, uh, and he said actually that uh, nuclear medicine have a problem and, and maybe radiology as well, uh, and they, they uh, need to learn more from oncology. 
because they had too bad quality in the studies compared to oncology. Uh, how do you think nuclear medicine and, and maybe radiology as well can can do better? So I, I know Stefano very well. So so he's he's a very small person and. It's not, I don't think it's it's really the fault of anyone. It's more like the funding is very difficult to get. For, for like, if you have a clean only radiology question, there's probably some academic funds that would pay, um, you know, for, for a trial like that. But, but usually it's much more complicated to, to get funds. And um, so that's I have I really have to admit it. It is usually easier if you give a treatment because then um, you know whoever does that treatment with the lutetium you see that again um, is obviously supporting trials like the vision trial. But um, it, it's more difficult to get funding for a clean phase three study. Um, so that's why I said maybe the easiest thing is to build it in the other studies. Annette, we need to talk about a little bit of collaboration. Collaboration, and um, I hope I don't uh, quote you wrong again here now, Silke, but uh, um, you have said, and I, I have read it, that um, that uh, collaboration and uh, by letting go from um, of your self-interest is key to make really make things happen. Is this a correct? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's, what, that's really yeah. something I, I believe in very yeah. strongly. Yeah, yeah and, so, and all... Yeah, say sorry. Say no, no. I, I, I think this is probably something where we all should think twice and then say, okay, it's more important that we collaborate and that we don't do things double and and things like that, but try to discuss together as an academic community which ones are the really important questions we want to solve, and then try to work together on that, right? So, so yes, I would, this, <laughs> this I recognize. <laughs> Good, I'm happy. And, and then you are, you seem to, you can't miss that you are very committed to uh, unify the community. And, and uh, as it seems, it is the, for the best of the patients. That is uh, uh, oh, the impression you, you give, no surprise. And you also have said, that uh, it is especially important in the field of prostate cancer. So I'm working specifically in prostate cancer and, and also in testicular cancer and other GU cancers. Um, but I don't think this is very specific only for one cancer. It, it may be more important for the cancers where there is a lot of drugs around, uh, where you can do a lot of trials um, because it's more difficult to focus on what is um, what do we think is really the important questions and that we don't, because we have a lot of similar drugs around in, in prostate cancer like apalutamide, darolutamide, enzalutamide, that, that all have differences obviously, but they, they are quite similar. So especially in contrast, let's say to docetaxel. Um, and, and there maybe before we do like a lot of trials all the same trials, but with three different drugs. It's a bit me too trials, right? It would be nice if we could concentrate on, on the important questions again. This is something that's much easier in testicular cancer where there is no high drugs, where 
we, we, we are a much smaller community. This is much less patients, um, where we actually know pretty well which are the important questions that need to be answered. Um, and there is not a lot of drug companies interested to do the same trials again and again. So, so, so that is maybe um, why you, you know, you could say, okay, for some cancers, it's, it's even more important than for others. But the collaboration part, I think, is always um, important because we are so much stronger together um, if we, we try to, to build up some networks and uh, to think about academic questions. And uh, one way of uh, collaboration is APCC. We need to, to talk more about the APCC. Tell us more about it. Uh, now it's a, a citation from you. So again, uh, if you don't have good evidence, the second best you can do is have consensus from experts in the field. Is that the, the key of the APCC right. meeting? Right. So the key of the meeting is, is really, so first of all, I have to be very honest, we didn't in kind of invent it. It was, there is a early breast cancer consensus meeting since long time where a lot of my friends are, have, um, ha have worked for a long time. And they did exactly that, right? They, they looked for um, clinically important questions where there was not good data. And, but, but this is very situations that you see every day in clinic you don't have good evidence and you would like to know what do the experts do in that situation themselves. So that's why we, we said, okay, we have so many of these questions also in prostate cancer that we should really um, do such a consensus meeting also for prostate cancer. And that's how it all started. And I think it's still, to me, it's very important because as you know, a lot of patients are not treated in expert centers. That is probably the same in Sweden, like in Switzerland, like in other countries. Um, but with an oncologist who also sees a lot of other diseases. So obviously it's very important that this knowledge transfer from the experts can go to the other oncologists or radio-oncologists or surgeons, it doesn't matter, whatever physicians who, who do um, see these patients and that's why we started the the meeting, the consensus meeting, and that's why we always very fast after the meeting write the you know the whole manuscript so people can then go and look and say, oh, I have a patient exactly like that. So the the experts like seventy five percent said that. So so I think this is I hope this is, should be really something helpful for clinical daily practice. And then if you want, you can also read the whole background because we're also writing the whole background. But um, the idea is really to say, okay, these are really important questions that we have, that we encounter, like I say every day, but at least very regularly, and we don't have good evidence. And, and that's, we have a lot of these questions, especially because now the dynamics is so fast, right? As you've seen before, I mean, we can't even keep up with doing the studies because there's so many new drugs on coming, but then there's also new imaging coming and, and, and. But it's super nice because in the end we have to say, okay, we make really progress in the treatment, in the management of prostate cancer, but, 
um, there is going to be on the way, there are going to be more and more questions because it's all coming at the same time. So it's not um, really head to head compared with each other, the treatments, for example. Um, and and so we, we need to get a feel what the experts think in that situation. Hmm. How has the kind of question changed from when you started for the from the first meeting and up to now? You see so, any? Yeah, so we started 2015 and I have to say we were also a bit naive, right? We said, okay, let's try to do it. And I think we're now much better in um, asking the questions very, very clearly. So we also, we, we use a lot of time for the phrasing of the questions, especially of, obviously English is also not my mother tongue. So, and but we we do it with all the experts. So the, the 70 panelists who afterwards also vote, read and correct the questions mm. at least two or three times. Yeah. So it gets really fine-tuned. So we start with a small group of people who do the questions, um, and then we we like send them into circulation. We get all the comments back. We change the the important comments. Then we send it around again and send it around again. So so we make a big focus on the questions. So the questions are in the end um, really giving you clarity, and and I think there we made a progress. I hope you, what, I mean, what is the, have you got feedback? Of course you have, but what is your, uh, what do you get back from the ones that you want to share this when, with? How, how do you verify? So, yes, I got a lot of, uh, it, it's more like personal feedback as well, where people really say, wow, this was such a good paper and it's so nice to read and really helpful. So I, I get that a lot. Um, but also you see it because it's, I think at least for two, for the last one, it was the one of the most cited and also one of the most clicked on papers in European neurology. So um, in reality, it, it's really, you see by all these metrics that the, the, it's really used. And we also pay for free access so that really everywhere in the world, even if you don't have money, you can really go and look at the paper if you want. Was it something as, as special that would you say? Why was it so the, the one of the most clicked ones? I hope because it's really practically usable. This is what we wanted to do it for, right? So it, it's really like, okay, now I, I see that patient now, so what are they saying in that situation? So you can also, because we have the 10 um, chapters normally, so you can also just go only in that chapter, look exactly at that question that, that you have in the moment. Hmm. Fantastic, congratulations, and especially uh, for the patients. Yes. Yeah. And the meeting will be 9 October 9th, and this will be a digital meeting? Yes, so we we have postponed the real meeting that we want to do then at least hybrid um, in to April 2022. But like a lot of our panelists said, oh, but we need we need something in between because it's so so much is is changing and we we should keep the impetus and everything. So we um so we said okay, let's do the three topics that we we think are really important, including the PSMA 
um, now on half day on the 9th of October, it's a Saturday. And some people will come. Um, I hope the situation allows it um, from, the, from Europe. So we will have some people in the studio to make it a bit more interesting. But the mo most of the, of the panelists um, will vote remotely. In, in a survey. So, so we will have uh, some talks, some interesting talks, some debates, um, and then we will discuss the voting results. So I hope it will be interesting to, to watch. Interesting. I have signed up for the meeting. How many others have signed up for it? Um, <laughs> After yes, I think by now it's like more than 200 already, but right. um, normally it's, it's always like with the, the, I heard that the for the virtual meetings, it's much more like that the people decide very close to the meeting. So I hope yeah. after that podcast, it will be another one, 51. Yeah. <laughs> yes, of course. Yes, of and course. and what, uh, very short, uh, in summary, you said that there will be uh, on top of Lutetium PSMA, uh, what are the questions? So three big topics. So the PSMA will not only be the Lutetium, will be PSMA in general, also a lot of imaging. And there will be the very hot topic of metastatic hormone sensitive prostate cancer. So how to treat best, because, you know, we have all these new data. So which ones are the, the combinations we should use? Are there still patients who should only get, get ADT? Who should have a local radical treatment with it? Who should get triplets? Who should get uh, doublets? You know, so all these questions. And then we will have a last one with molecular imaging. So who needs um, molecular staging of the tumors, so somatic testing, what do you need to test, what um, will that then mean for your patients, how would you treat your patients, and also some questions about germline testing. And then in the end, we did some um, questions for COVID, um, just out of interest, how, how um, but that's only a few, um, how to treat patients in that period. Um, we sometimes have high numbers and we have lower numbers. And I think um, all of us have the same problems, right? So how do you do for sign up for the meeting? Oh, you can just go on the website, apcc.org, and then you can register there. I think it's very easy. Great. Uh, we are just in, in the end of the, the interview. We need to ask you uh, some more questions. Uh, you uh, decided to become a doctor in the age of four. <laughs> and now mom. you're a professor. Right. Oh, sorry. That, that says my mom. So we have to believe her. My, mo my mom. Huh. Is she she knows. No. Mother yes. know, mother's knows. Mother knows. Right? Yes. Yeah. Uh, and now you're a professor in oncology. What do you appreciate the most with your work? I think the, the, it's, it's a beautiful work. I mean, it's because you come to work and every day you learn something from your patients, from your coworkers, from the internet, from you. I mean, I think it's just, the, we are fortunate because we, we can learn like every day. And um, I think that is uh, for me the, the most beautiful thing. Um, and then obviously also the, the how, how would you say that the connection with the patients and um, how you you can have a very nice relationship for a long time. Who do you think should be uh, other guests to invite to this pod? Um, so, so for the third question or for yeah, 
Titans um, so I don't know who you had already. I think Declan Murphy is very good and uh, Michael Hoffman, Louise Emmet. So so a lot of people in in obviously in Australia have a lot of experience. So I think that would be a very good idea to to talk to them. You have already talked to Oliver Sauter, I heard, right? So Michael Morris is obviously the obvious choice as well. He's very, very good. Um, yeah. So Johan de Bono has, uh, was also very involved in, uh, in the vision study. So you have a lot of choices, excellent choices. Yes, actually, we had Luis and we had Michael in the in the some previous episodes, but um, we have some. We will... left. Yes, <laughs> so that's good. Yes, and uh, who do you think should receive the Nobel Prize within Terragnostics? <laughs> I've no clue. There, I'm. There, you have to ask Stefano because um, this is this is really something. I don't. I don't even. I mean, I just know that the people in Heidelberg were very, very um, fundamental now for the PSMA. Um, the question is, is there not, there, there must be other things as well, right? So um, there is obviously all the, the, the work that has been gone on since much longer time in neuroendocrine tumors. It's just much, a, le- much, a much less frequent tumor, um, but it doesn't mean that not the, the, the whole background was pretty late there, right? So I, I wouldn't I wouldn't say I'm I'm the person who should decide that. And and when you don't work, what do you like to do then? Oh, what what are we doing? We love music and we we love art. My my husband is an architect, so we we go to the Biennale regularly. We go to a lot of museums, exhibitions. We have a lot of friends who are musicians, so. Um, we, we we like to also modern classics and classic, but also tomorrow we go to Paolo Conte, who's an Italian songwriter, beautiful. Um, so yeah, so so we like to and we we love to have friends over for for dinners. My husband is a very good cook. I'm also a rather good cook, but I I'm not um, mostly. I let him do most of the work because I'm later normally at work and less flexible. And uh, we love having friends over, and uh, I mean, when we can again with the COVID. But um, it's um, yeah, it's. I think this is our main, main favorite things to do. And we go hiking. Ah, oh, yeah. Mm. I'm not very sporty, so but my husband is. So he made me very sporty as well. So not very, but <laughs> kind of sporty as well. <laughs> so now I'm I'm go hiking with him some mountains. Here is very beautiful. So uh, hiking in Switzerland, I think that's nice. It's beautiful, yeah, and especially it's here in Ticino, it's beautiful, just beautiful. Mm. It's really fantastic because you have all the lakes. So you go up the hills and then you see all the lakes. Like it's 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 really nice. It's nice, and we do snowshoe, snowshoe um, tours um, in the and so it's it's really nice and we're just we're just like wanting to buy electric bikes as well so we can we can do even a a bit more because he is very hilly i mean it's difficult to get out with with a normal bike oh yep (laughs) super Super. thank you silke for your time yes thank you so much i hope we you make some pr for us for the conference that would be nice and um yeah Thank you both. Yes, we will do. And hello to Sweden. (laughs) (laughs) Bye-bye. Bye-bye. All the best. 
Yes, Annette, that was uh, Silke Gillesen. Uh, interesting to have an oncologist in the podcast. I think we have a lot of had a lot of nuclear medicine specialists in the podcast in, in our previous episode, and I think it's so interesting to to have an oncologist view on diagnostics. What do you think? Oh, I, I think it it was lovely. I must say to to hear her and to talk about how to solve the unsolved questions. Yeah. Moving forward and using the APCC. Uh, meeting for this. Yes, I love the idea. Of course, it's good. It's good with evidence, but but as she said, the second best is to have consensus from experts in the field, and that's that's what what they're doing with the APCC meeting. Yeah. And to secure to share it with all. Yeah. Patients. Yes, because they publish the re- result of the APCC meeting afterwards, and I think that's good. Then then everyone can can access it. Yes. I look forward to the 9th of October, Saturday. Yes, I do it as well. And I have signed up already. Okay, Annette, ready for today. Ready for today. And how do we reach e- us? Uh, with emailing podcast at samnordic.se or visit our LinkedIn site or our website samnordic.se. Yes. So, stay safe. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.